right. Welcome back. That's good to press record on both of them. <laughs> All right. That's a very appropriate starting. Welcome back to episode hmm, 89 of... This could be 90. I'm totally off my game tonight. Uh, welcome back to Creative Writing. Episode whatever it is. We'll edit it into there. Yeah, this is 90. Yeah, episode 90. Uh, we're almost at two years old. And we're uh, approaching in 10 more weeks. We'll be at episode 100. And so tonight we're going to blab a little bit. Um, I have guest or co-host Chris here tonight. And uh, we're going to talk about some stuff. If that sounds fun, then... Cool. <laughs> <laughs> See if this will do a wheelie. Grandpa also had like a 77. They came with no bags. He had bags, lights, bang, yeah. and he gave it to my aunt's husband. Yeah. Who fixed it and sold it. And I was like, what? All right, guys. So listen up. We're here and we're going to get weird this week. We're going to be talking about a Honda Goldwing. And uh, if you don't know, they are they're redoing the Goldwing for this year. For 2018, I should say. So we're going to yap about that. But before we get into that, Chris, what you've been... Well, did you go on any rides or do any wrenching this uh, weekend? Yeah, Labor Day weekend on Sunday, I went on a ride up Angeles Crest on my S2R1000 Ducati. I did 105 miles in the canyon. Like, almost all the way through, I turned around at 52 miles and came back. But how far did you go? Oh, 105. In the canyon. So getting to the canyon was like another 10 miles total. So what was your top speed? I thought you were saying that was your top speed. What was your top speed? Uh, I think I did break 100 just because I like saw straight away and I was like, I should break 100 mile an hour right now. Yeah. There is a pretty sweet spot of Angeles Crest that um, opens up there at the top. It's really nice. Uh, what I did, I went to... Uh, did you also try Glendora? You told me Glendora was closed. Yeah, I did on Saturday. I tried Glendora and Azusa, and they were both closed. Someone told me they actually close on holiday weekends. Oh. I mean, that makes more sense now, but that's kind of a weird time to close because so many people use those. I figured they'd be open for campers and stuff. Might be why they close them. They don't want to rescue motorcycles and cars off the cliff. Yeah, yeah. So I went searching for the neighborhood that we talked about last time on the show and guess what it was gated off i thought oh, i was no. yeah i thought i was gonna ride back there and do some rad um just hooligan in the back behind houses where nobody's really gonna care there is a wash or like a um, drainage ditch that goes out to the ocean and so the only thing i saw on google maps is that i don't want to be riding and all of a sudden see that because it kind of blends into the ground so i was mm. freaked out about that but it was gated off so mm. um that was that i also did a shakedown i don't really do haven't done any gear reviews but i got this new phone mount and the phone mount's actually pretty cool but it my damn my phone is what's not cool it jiggles and the video has that weird like rolling kind of waviness yeah, yeah. and I, I i found out that there's two different types of shutters on a phone the way it has to capture video 
And one of them is like a rolling shutter. And one of them is just like a, I forget the type, but it's more of like a constantly snapping pictures kind. The rolling shutter mm-hmm. kind makes things kind of wavy. And if you film a plane, it'll make the propellers look like they're bending. Yeah. Because it captures it like a screen scan rather than a screen flash or something. So yeah, I, I got the wavy kind apparently. And uh, the video sucked because it like uh, basically focused on my cables that it was looking at instead of the road ahead. So I was like, dude, I guess I got to mount it high up out of the way. So hmm. fail, fail on my part. But uh, I would have loved to have gone up and burn Angeles Crest with you. That would have been pretty fun. 105 miles ain't too shabby. Uh, did you get to the right wood cutoff? Uh, I think I got I got past Azusa. There was a camp or a hiking that I turned around at. Yeah, okay. I want to say like Twin Pines. Yeah, okay. It was, that sounds right. It was quite a ways up there. Yeah, because I don't know if they have it open all year round, but um, sometimes they close it off over to Wrightwood, but that would have been a fun. When it said it was closed at Angeles or at uh, Azusa, which you can't go through anyway. Yeah. But it wasn't. And when I looked at the map before I went, it was closed. I think they just opened it in the morning. Oh, no kidding. I was like, I screenshotted it. So I was past. Yeah. It was almost a right wood. Yeah. Okay. That's a pretty, if you go all that way, for those of you that don't know, you go to basically um, over by Big Bear, sort of, you know, you end up on that side of the freeway. You used to be able to come down the 39 to Azusa. Um, For a long time, that was closed off. You could only do it on a mountain bike because you had to kind of hike a bike around the gate. Still looks closed. It looked like it uh, could use some road maintenance. Yeah. And I bet they just don't want to spend the money on the road. You're right on. That's exactly the California Forestry Department of Forestry and the California, like, the fire, um, I don't know, the fire department or the county fire department. They're the only two that use that road. And neither of them, the fire department is like, we need it for fire access and the forestry department's like, yeah, it's, but it's not, it's in our, it's in our jurisdiction, but we're not going to fix it. If you want to use it, you pay for it. And they're like, well, we don't want to pay for it, but we need it. So they're kind of in this like battle of, uh, cause I was reading why it got closed. Cause it was one of the most epic like loops that you could do. And it got closed. Everyone was bummed. And that's the behind the scenes of why, uh, living in California, you'd think some tax money would be able to, yeah, cause I go and turn off there to go to GMR. Yeah. See, I go all the way up to the campground, the crystal Lake up at the top. There's mm. a little camp. I mean, it's just up. You can't go anywhere from there. It's up and back, but yeah, that cut off. you go past like the shooting range and all that stuff out like Burrow Canyon and Burrow Canyon's after you turn off and cross the little lake. Right. So right. If you stay on it, it, I think it goes back oh, okay. more. Okay. But you can like. Does it go way uphill, right? It goes way uphill. It, if you turn and go past like the, the little like off-road park, there's like a bridge. If you take that one back for a while, it'll pass the Burrow Canyon shooting park. And then it'll go back to this like stream where people are like gold panning. <laughs> and uh, that'll go back a little bit to a hiking trail. But I always do like for motorcycling, I do the like sharp, like 180 at the yeah, bottom. Yeah. But that was where it was closed off. I couldn't do oh, that no 180. Shit. Yeah. That's, I went there before and I, I uh, was going to go over that way because I'd never, I knew that was probably the way that connected. You know, that's, that's one. So, man, one of these days we're going to have to go together. You're going to have to wait for me because my bike, my 250 tops out at um, like, 75 or 80 miles an hour unless I want to blow it up and my uh my 550 is not running right now I got beat by a grom so uh, yeah you know what? I should be I should be fine 
<laughs> I saw that Grom though. That was like a Ninja 300 Grom. Yeah, that was a pretty crazy Grom. <laughs> Uh, the next thing we're going to try out this week is we're going to try and have a word of the week. And uh, we're basically going to try. If you ever saw Pee Wee's Playhouse in the 80s, I thought it'd be fun to just have like a crazy random word. And then we kind of forget about it as we're talking. And um, it ends up being <laughs> just, you know, we're going to emphasize that word, whether it's like a mundane or whether it's a totally awesome word. Um, and it's going to sound like this. Palmdale. Or maybe even a word like boxer. Oh, trouble. Oh, yes. Uh, that is going to be trouble. Trouble for me because I have to edit. I already have to edit. I didn't press pause on this one, so I'm going to have to edit a bunch of junk out. But uh, yeah, so we'll get to that. We'll get to uh, we'll get to some conversation. Hopefully that word doesn't come up too much because you guys uh, don't know the, the pain of editing. So uh, first thing I want to talk about with you, Chris, is bike theft. And uh, this is kind of interesting. I have I whipped up some articles on bike theft. Oh, my God. What happened to this segment? It got stolen. So here's the deal. Uh, we'll bring you that, that segment next week. It seems to have been uh, poached out of our garage this week. Uh, so we'll, we'll come back at you with that next week. In the meantime, we're going to jump straight ahead into some Goldwing stuff. Hey, I was just over at dailybikers.com and uh, checking out all the stuff that Dan has for sale. But I think I've told you before, Daily Bikers, it's a site by a biker for bikers. Not only is there really cool merch, but there's awesome ride stories, gear reviews, and whatnot. Uh, Dan just posted up an article recently about turning 45, the big 4-5. Uh, he only looks like he's about 25, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I think riding motorcycles has helped him stay young mentally and physically. And if you go over to dailybikers.com you can read out all about that uh another thing is uh co-host chris checked out daily bikers and was amazed by the fact that dan draws all this stuff by hand and i was just perusing the store there is so much stuff up there and i feel like um I'm not 100% sure, but I feel like the prices have gone down on a lot of this stuff. And he used to have some really nice prints uh, available for your home or office. But now you can even download one of his, uh, you know, his quick print digital download things and color it in yourself. And that's an even more economical uh, choice than to, than to order an already done print. I suggest you do both because the prints are awesome. And yeah, you can customize your own drawing, but, you know the the, uh, the finished product is, is super nice but yeah go check out dailybikers.com or dailybikersstore.com and uh yeah see what you can find uh so should we jump into the uh goldwing stuff yeah all right it. i don't think we've said what was was today's secret word pancake I was going to go with boxer. Oh, yeah, that's right. Boxer. Okay, we're about to get into uh, some Goldwing stuff, so maybe, hopefully, I won't have a nightmare editing, um, and hopefully, it'll turn out to the secret word thing. Here's the deal with the secret word before we get into the next segment, is that we want you, we're going to contribute this first one. Chris is picking boxer. I think that's pretty good. That's apropos to the what we're going to talk about. 
But I would like you listeners to submit the next one. Whatever next week's is, you guys hit us up on the Twitter at creative underscore writer or hit us up on Instagram at creative writing podcast or even is it okay if they hit you up on wig zero nine? Yeah, for sure. All right. Hit us up on Instagram or Twitter or, or if you're a Facebook only, if you're um, 40 years or older, go ahead and use that Facebook link that you got that Facebook website <laughs> and uh, hit us up on there. Any, any way you send it to us, we'll use it. So let's um, get into the gold wing. All right, Chris, are you ready for this? I think I am. I've actually got a, a pretty good personal history with the gold with gold wings in general. So yeah. All right, I have none except for that I make fun of them when I see them go by. To me, <laughs> to me, they're like the old people feeding the squirrel in the park. All right, the year is 1974. Larry Flint publishes the first Hustler magazine. Eric Clapton sings "I Shot the Sheriff," while McCartney sings. Band on the Run. Groups like ABBA, David Bowie, The Carpenters, Supertramp, and even Dolly Parton are all on the top of the charts. Shows like Kojak and Kung Fu and The Price is Right grace many television sets. You know, as a side note, did you, your grandparents call it the television or the television set? You know, I've never paid attention to that. <laughs> I might always call it the, te- te- the TV set. I don't know what's, what it is. Why is the huh. set? But, uh, but yeah, so gas was only 55 cents a gallon, despite the oil crisis. But on the flip side of that, there was a nationwide 55 mile an hour speed limit established in order to save gas. Um, President Nixon resigned that year, facing impeachment. Do you know he and he actually set up the EPA, which is all and the went uh, with the Clean Air Act and all that stuff, which was kind of trying to help us out of the uh, oil crisis. 1974 was also the year that. Muhammad Ali fought George Foreman in Zaire, also known as the Rumble in the Jungle. Australia suffered massive flooding along the Brisbane River. Um, A cyclone Tracy smashes and nearly destroys all of the city of Darwin in Australia. Uh, While in the USA, we suffered the worst series of tornadoes on record. I think it was 148. Um, The U.S. oil pipeline across Alaska is started. The IRA starts their bombing campaign in England. And Honda introduces the gold wing. (laughs) Now, the reason I listed all that stuff is that I feel like we've kind of come full circle. You know, not gas being 55 cents a gallon, but everybody's trying to move to electric cars to kind of, you know, Kind of uh, subsidize what gas has become, which is shit like three fifteen or three twenty a gallon. Uh, we're almost in an oil crisis again. We've been fighting over it for like the last twenty years in the Middle East, trying to stabilize the nation. And Venezuela has actually gone. Uh, Venezuela has actually kind of gone into a. Uh, I think they gone into a dictatorship over, you know, the guy using oil funds to put himself through power. Uh, you know, we just had that Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor fight, so I think that kind of parallels the uh, George Foreman and Muhammad Ali. We just had the Lakotas and the Dakota Indians fighting for that uh, shit. What was that? The Dakota Pipeline, yeah, right? Yeah, the Dakota Pipeline. Right, and I and I feel like that kind of parallels the Alaska Pipeline. Uh, unfortunately, uh, like shit, like ISIS, those motherfuckers—they've been bombing uh, people all over Europe, and I feel like that kind of. Um, People kind of forgot about the IRA, that they were kind of like a crazy terrorist organization. 
And the Goldwing debuts, which, crazy enough, it's made big news recently because the 2018 is going to be all new. Now, we've had all new Goldwings before, but there's a lot of speculation around this new Goldwing. Chris has done more research on that than I have, so let me fill you in on the back uh, story, and then Chris can kind of update you on the newer stuff. So... The Goldwing debuted, of course, we mentioned 1974 uh, as a 1975 model. But to kind of set the stage for what's happening, let's we have to drop back to 1972. Uh, Chris wasn't even born yet. I was 24, uh, living in a on the seedy side of town in a rented out uh, dumpster. And from Honda, what happened was uh, they established a design team that was led by uh, Soichiro. Ira Majiri, say that 20 times fast, he headed up uh, the design of the five and six cylinder road race engines of the 1960s. And I think Chris even has some experience with those via his family members. And the team developed the M1, which was a super top secret prototype uh, designed to explore. This is directly from quoting from Honda designed to explore the outer limits of the grand touring concept. Uh, the super-fast M1 features a liquid-cooled, horizontally-opposed six-cylinder engine with a shaft drive and features that surface in the Goldwing line in years to come, end quote. So they were kind of like, even then, way ahead of what would eventually come down the pipeline. And a horizontally-opposed is more commonly referred to as a boxer. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. First edit. All right. Boxer. So, uh, yeah, the Society of Automotive Engineers of Japan include the Goldwing GL1000, that first year boxer, uh, as uh, the one manufactured in 1974 as one of the 240 landmarks of Japanese automotive technology. Uh, And through 2012, the GL uh, has appeared 18 times in Cycle World. The article that I pulled that from was from 2012. So, shit, I don't know. That's five years ago already. Could have changed. Yeah, there could be. It could be in there three more times. So as of twenty, that twenty twelve article, it was in there uh, eighteen times as uh, you know the top ten best bikes, and it was designed by Toshio Nozue. You know who that is? Probably worked for Honda. He worked for Honda. Very good. He also invented tofu, but he was the guy that designed the iconic CB750. So he designed mm-hmm. the Goldwing motor, the CB750. I have a, ha- I have a feeling this guy kind of did a lot there at Honda. Well, actually, from my understanding, when the Goldwing was first introduced, it was meant to be a race bike, but it dragged the cylinders on the ground. Right. And he's the same guy. Uh, not the, uh, not the guy that designed the bike, but the guy that designed the motor is the same guy that designed their, um, the race bikes, the, the, the six cylinder CBs, you know, for pizza, little screamers. So, uh, in 1975, the year it debuted, uh, it featured a 990 CC flat four. I forget what they call those. Or an opposing, an opposed, what do you call it? A, a flat four. No, opposing. Uh, opposed twin? Yeah. Out opposing of a, flat four slider. <laughs> yes. Thank you for avoiding that. <laughs> but it had a single overhead cam. Uh, it was the first liquid-cold four-stroke from Japan. 
which must mean that the water buffalo is nine, uh, 78 or something like that. The CD750 was... 70, 69. Well, that was air-cooled. It was air-cooled, right, yeah. yeah. It yeah. was the first one, first motorcycle with disc brakes. Right, right. So this thing uh, had an underseat gas tank, much like the V-Rod, or the V-Max, I'm sorry. The V-Rod does actually, not have an the V-Rod does have an underseat gas tank, I think tank it actually too. does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're right. So... Uh, Screw you guys. Um, and it was their f- inaugural foray into the shaft final drive. I must have quoted that from somewhere, probably Wikipedia. Uh, to quote Cycle World again, quote, that original naked wing was pretty conventional. No cutting edge suspension or techno trickery with performance that, while excellent for a bike weighing well north of 600 pounds, wasn't sensational, end quote. So yeah, basically it was kind of like a, I mean, even though it was a shaft drive, it was liquid cooled. It was a <clears throat> opposed cylinder for, okay, as a boxer. boxer. All right. Boxer. Um, it wasn't, from what they say, it wasn't anything special. And they're kind of look like these huge tanks. You know, they are a, a naked bike. They kind of, if you could picture a, a, a modern uh, CB1100, it's kind of like that, like just a big, like, look at this thing. This is a big old tank, you know, look at that. Yeah, they look like any, like, like CB750 in the day, like any kind of bike of that era, only with a boxer four-cylinder in it instead of an inline four. Yeah. They actually looked really good, and I see a lot of them, like, still running today. They're still, like, super cool bikes, especially if you're into that, like, 70s Honda styling. Do you listen to Cleveland Moto? I haven't got to that one yet. All right. Well, there's another podcast for you to listen to. Uh, I think it's John Mecklefresh on that podcast loves these. He'll go, he'll uh, pull over to rescue one out of a swamp if he sees it. So he's got a couple. Uh, but yeah, so they re- they released it. Very, very, very different. Like you said, it kind of looks like a CB750, but with an opposed Boxer. <laughs> engine. Uh, no saddlebags, no fairing, not even a windshield. And from Ultimate Motorcycling, quote, in 1975, Honda released the Goldwing as a high-performance premium motorcycle, putting out 80 horsepower at 7,500 RPM from its 990cc liquid-cooled overhead cam flat four motor. The price was 2,899 English or American, which is about 12,500 adjusted for inflation, end quote. So, I mean, we're talking... Not staggering horsepower, but pretty good. I mean, 80 for back then even. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm sure. It doesn't really give the torque numbers too, but I've ridden one of the new ones and they, they do pretty good. Yeah. You rode a CB the 11? Or our new wing you're talking new about. Wing. Yeah. New wing. Yeah. 1800 wing. I've got nice. a lot of seat time on an 1800 gold wing. All right. So Chris has got all the experience here. The biggest bike I've ever ridden is 1200. And let me tell you, I'm three feet tall. Chris, I'm not lying, right? <laughs> and uh, I, I only weigh about, uh, you know, I weigh 300 pounds, guys, but I'm only three feet tall. So that makes it hard to put my feet down on these big bikes. But I have to say, the heavier the bikes, the harder it is for me in low, um, like low speed maneuvering. Mm-hmm. I'm so used to it on little bikes and like dirt bikes and stuff like that. So these big old tanks, like I just can't imagine doing it, but I see people all the time rubbing floorboards, mm-hmm. you know, like cops, like watching cops do training. So I know it's possible, but I just can't wrap my head around slamming eight, 1800 cc's back and forth. So with so much agility, you know, 
so from 1975 to 79, the wings stayed largely the same. Uh, but the aftermarket, those are the guys that went nuts. And Vetter, if you, you know, we all, we all know Craig Vetter, uh, he invented the Windjammer fairing, which was like the fairing to have. A lot of guys with Harleys had them, Hondas had them. Like anything that wanted wind resistance when touring actually started becoming a thing. Vetter made a, uh, a fairing for this thing. I think he made one for Prince's bike too. You know, I think they, it was the same, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone had the Windjammers back in the day. Yeah, the most notable piece of kit being the Vetter Windjammer. I think that I got that from... Um, Were the bags also... Bags were aftermarket. I know that was aftermarket, but did Vetter do those too? I don't think so. The windshields, some windshields became possible uh, uh, popular. Um, aftermarket seats because people started actually touring them. You know, like take it started what we would consider long distance touring and stuff like that. And before that, people didn't really do it that much, so that became a big thing. Hang on one sec. Hey everybody, while we take a minute to review our notes and look over some stuff, I'd like to remind you, if you've got the time, please leave us a review in iTunes. It really helps the show get discovered and it helps us, you know, get a little bit better, know what you guys are looking for and whatnot. And a ton of show ideas have been uh, popping in. That's great. Submit anything you have to creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com or you can direct message us on uh, the Instagrams at uh, creativewritingpodcast or Twitter at creative underscore writer and you could always leave us a message on the Facebook page. Another reminder is that our Halloween episode Spooky Spokes is coming up. Really, without you guys it's sort of like Solstice Slam. If there are no cool stories then uh, there will be no cool episode. So please submit your stories uh, for Spooky Spokes to the same email address, creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com by October 26th so that we can get them all edited and thrown into the show and hopefully hear some really cool stuff. All right? That's about all the blab and I got. We'll probably remind you again at the end of the show. Let's get back to the going banter with Chris Nye. All right, and we are back. I'm a, Chris has a couple, uh, a couple interesting notes here. I think mine are less detailed. Wow, that's better. <laughs> Actually, I just blab on about. <laughs> I have pretty well. You were at seventy-five through seventy-nine. It was a GL one thousand, pretty well untouched. Which actually something I find interesting. Like I wrote down some milestones, but in recent history, like to me, this two thousand eighteen change. If it's much of a change and they're claiming it is, is a huge deal because 2010 was the last change and it wasn't much of a change. Yeah. The frame stayed, the boxer motor stayed, the wheel stayed, the fork stayed, like some styling cues change and that was about it. And then they did the FP6, um, yeah. which was basically like simplify it, but still no major changes. Like the motorcycle work. Work- they cut it. I mean, they cut the. Back yeah, they off, cut the, the third bag off. They yeah. cleaned it up. They made it a slightly sportier. They simplified the paint. Um, they shortened the windshield. Yeah. But like little little it, changes. But like it, the motorcycle we're talking about that's getting ready to go out is basically to me a 17-year-old bike. Or actually an 18-year-old bike. It came out in 2000, not 2001. Yeah. 
They tried to make the F6B basically like a road glide. Yeah. yeah. Like the specials with no. Yeah. yeah. A little bit younger crowd. and You know, and that's what the BMW is doing with the F, uh, the K1600B right now, too. Yeah. Um, something I didn't know from my research is that in 1979, Honda America Manufacturing Plant opened in Troy, Ohio. Yeah, it opened in Ohio. Wait, was it Troy, Ohio? It, the one I have says Marysville. Marysville, you're right. It was yeah, Troy, Marysville. Michigan. There's a lot of, or, uh, yeah, that's where like Buell's at and stuff. Yeah, Marysville, yeah. Ohio. Yeah, actually, a lot of the CBXs were manufactured in Marysville, Ohio. Right, and Troy, Michigan was also the biggest bully in my high school. I still owe you one, <laughs> Troy. Eighty uh, percent of the Goldwing production was being done here. I didn't know that was being exported here. So it was either knockdown kits or if you think about 1979, that's right around the time the Harley Davidson AMF tariffs, right? Yeah. So they, they were probably importing them here to uh, assemble them at least. Um, If not stamp room and manufacture a certain percentage of them to avoid the tariffs. So uh, I didn't know that. So in September 10, uh, of 1979, Honda America Manufacturing completes the first 10 motorcycles built in the Marysville, Ohio plant. And after that, they kind of proved that you could manufacture Japanese stuff here in America. And so it led to them building a car plant, I guess, in the U.S. And so uh, that that started that. Uh, as Chris said, as he mentioned, it was the GL1000. And in 1980... They increased it uh, to from 999 to 1085, and they renamed it the GL1100. And they introduced, I believe in 81, the Interstate, uh, which was the GL1100i. Uh, and then they came out. That one had uh, a full fairing, finally. Like they, they said, hey, enough of the aftermarket getting our, yeah, getting our yeah. traffic here. We're going we're gonna to nab this stuff. Adjustable seats, which almost every tour has nowadays. Finally had saddlebags, a top case, and an optional stereo, which in 1980 would have played cassette or 8-track probably. Um, and the 1981 models, of course, were built in the Marysville, Ohio plant. The cylinder heads, the gear ratios, they were all modified to increase the torque and low RPMs, um, as well as on the freeway. The wheelbase was lengthened, uh, and air suspension was added. And what that did is it made it more stable at high speeds for longer distances. And I, I'm not 100% sure if we saw touring. Some of that's later. Okay, and some of that's later, probably. <laughs> I'm going to go with Chris on this one. I'm going to default to his stuff. I think we're both reading from the same Psycho World article. We may, probably, yeah. I, t- I took uh, three or four different articles, so this is a good combination. At least you can verify with me then. Uh, and also in 81, they had tubeless tires rather than the spokes, and they were on Comstar wheels. And if you listen to the Motorcycles Misfits Patreon episode, they did a whole episode on Comstars. I know. I want to pay just for that episode because that's one of my favorite wheels. Again, like growing up on top of a CBX, like I love that wheel. Yeah. So 82, the Aspencade comes out. Now, Aspencade is uh, Honda's attempt at using a mountain range. You know, John Denver was always singing about the mountains. And they're like, hey, man, Americans love mountains. Let's name it the Aspencade. It was the GL1100A for Aspencade. And it was uh, basically all the options from the interstate became standard. And I think 
I'm not I'm not saying this because I don't know for sure, but this is the first time I'm hearing what motorcycle manufacturers do today where you have a base model. You know, before you didn't have base and then blah, 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 like LT, XT. Like this sounds kind of like where this stuff begins with Honda offering you a base model and then an interstate model that's got some bells and whistles and then the Aspencade, which is like the package, top of the line package. So instead of offering you three different models, they're offering you package levels, calling them different stuff. And basically they still do that to this very day. Uh, so yeah, the 1982, probably also the year that the Rocky Horror Picture Show came out. I'm just guessing that I'm not hundred percent sure, but it had a bigger seat, uh, two-tone paint, vented disc brakes. Um, I also know that it came in gold. Like that was some big weird thing. Um, and the GL 18, uh, the GL 1100 interstate gets an onboard air compressor to adjust that, uh, that air suspension upgraded stereo so now you get like a cb in there too cbs were totally huge in 82 if you ever watched bj and the bear or listen to that cw mccall song convoy or there's a movie convoy <laughs> cbs were a big thing so you get a cb and an eight track man you're fucking uh any which way but loose on that baby uh, and then I only got up to 83, man, but facing pressure from the Venture 1200, which was Yamaha's big old cruiser that had a V4, they introduced the GL 1200 in Milan. And 80, yeah, it looks like 84 was the 1200. Yeah. And then 85, it says they went to fuel injection. Oh, wow. So that's like, to me, that was, that's ahead of its time. Like, Sport bikes to me got fuel injection in 2000, like the RC51, the CBR929. Like that was the first year sport bikes were getting fuel injection. Right. When did Harley start getting fuel injection? The Sportster was 2006. 2006 is the first one. Big bikes were a little closer to 2000. Yeah, it could be. I could I could nerd out and go look at the stuff, but I only remember all of them having it. The Softails and the Sportsters. Getting it in 2006. Sportsters I know were like mid-year 05 or 06. Yeah. Um, because in 06, you still had, you could get, it, it had an eye on the end of it, and that meant injected, because you could still get carbureted or injected that mm. in 2006. And then in 07, they all went to the fuel, fuel injection. injection. But yeah, in 84, they also had uh, improved chassis and braking, again, trying to update the touring. You know, touring's uh-huh. becoming a, a, a pastime now, apparently. And they went to hydraulic valve adjusters kind of to try to make it maintenance free. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of ways, I have a bike that has a self-adjusting cam chain. And I know a lot of bikes do that nowadays. So a lot of bikes nowadays have self-adjusting cams and like self-adjusting stuff, period. And I feel like it makes them almost harder to work on. The more you try to make something maintenance free or the more you try to cock it up by... Uh, I don't know, making a, a person, a human, like less involved with the maintenance, it almost means that you have to put more junk on it. You know what I mean? And that kind of convolutes everything, in my opinion. Yeah, to a point, I would agree. Like, you try to make it less maintenance, but if something does fail, it's usually catastrophic. Like, it's usually really a big failure. Yeah, yeah. And then you have like a whole system you have to replace rather than just like a valve and a follower yeah. or something. Um, now the oldest bike in my garage is 83. So I'm going to stop there. If you, you, I'm going to rely on you to jump in here and get some more stuff going. 
So 85 was fuel injection again, cruise control and auto leveling, which it, it actually got an onboard compressor, I think, in 82 when it went when it got the interstate. And they yeah, Aston Page or yeah, the, the, con- the Constipade. Yeah, it got uh, an onboard compressor for that. But in 85, it was self leveling. And then 88 is when it went to the 1500 six cylinder. Boxer. Yeah. And in 88, it got reverse. Um, the article said reverse gear. I don't know about the 1500s, but I know the 1800s. It wasn't a gear. It used the starter motor yeah. to reverse the bike. Yeah. But one of the greatest options or greatest standard features on a bike that weighs over 800 pounds and is super wide is a reverse. Yeah, exactly. You can't park downhill and like use your feet to push that back. Now, I don't know. I did a I did a little blab about this a couple months ago or actually a few months ago now, but Takata Airbags have recalled a bunch of stuff for the Camrys, the Nissan Rogues, um the Accords. Why does that even matter? Well, because the something else Honda was first with was an airbag and yeah. a motorcycle. Yeah, airbag and a motorcycle. Was that 97? No, that was No, I think it was 2000. more like 07 or something. Okay. I, yeah, I think I don't you're know right. When, or out, when, but yeah, I, I was either I think it was either 06 or 07. I don't know why I said 97 cuz hell a lot of cars didn't have airbags in 97. <laughs> uh, but Honda was the first motorcycle to have a, you know, an airbag system in it and not just on the rider, like an airbag jacket or nothing, you know, not like a Helite vest, but an actual airbag. Uh, one of the first things I noticed for 2017 is that that airbag option was not available. 2006. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was 2006. Um, and there's, I seen some pretty horrendous videos of dudes of crash dummies. I hope, I hope that wasn't a dude in Japan. They might do things a little different than we do here. But uh, I'm pretty sure it was a crash dummy. And it has him slamming into a car as if someone were pulling out of a a driveway in front of him. And sure enough, dude, the guy's head basically goes and touches the middle of his spine as it's bending, as he's bending his body through the driver's side window. Catastrophic injuries to the driver. Also, the rider folds in half, basically. uh, And he's a taquito. Um, if you don't know what a taquito is, look it up and then imagine your body being that, uh, going through a window into a family of four in their minivan as they pull out in front of you. I've heard a lot of good things. I've heard a lot of people like walking away from accidents because of the airbags. Yeah. And I, I have to say I was wrong. Uh, the first 1800 was 2001, not 2000. Chris, what are we going to do with you? You're fired. I'm done. (laughs) I I was like looking at more stats and I'm like, wait a minute. Get out. Uh, so basically, we've gone from 999cc boxer to uh, an 1800cc. So, still a boxer. Uh, yeah, still a boxer. <laughs> and so is Muhammad Ali. So is Conor McGregor. I think it's like, it's kind of interesting to note. I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember the ad for the 1500 when they put a nickel on its side? Like they fired the bike up and they put a nickel on its side on the valve cover and it didn't fall. And it over. didn't roll off. Right. Yeah. It like that's it was to show you how smooth the motor, how well balanced it is and how smooth it revs. 
they're and they're that's one of the things about Honda is they're they're very they're tame, you know, and they got these big old uh, shakers, you know, six cylinder, right? That would just shake you apart. But yeah, Hondas are kind of known for that. I I can't think of off the top of my head because I hate doing gold wings at work. They're like one of the bikes I despise because there's so much crap to them. Um, and but I, so much, so much, dude. <laughs> like even just the just the plastics. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just the plastic, just the body part. Not not even moving into like the and they're like they're hard so stuff. well engineered that as a mechanic, like you have to do it like the book says. Yeah, or it's not gonna. Yeah, like your plastic's not gonna fit again. I just listened to an episode of Law Abiding Bikers, and they were talking about why they're they're uh, LEOs, law enforcement officers, and they work in the motors department. And they were talking about why they use Harleys. They had the Beamers, you know, the R twelve hundred RTP. They had the Honda ST thirteen hundred P, and then they all they went back to the Harleys. The primary reason that they use Harleys is because you break something or you you wreck something on the job or out on the on the beat in your uh, in your in your shift you don't have to take off 93,000 pieces of things in a specific order which yeah. exactly just like chris said honda you have to do it a very specific way and they put those bikes together with white gloves on you know what i mean and so if you're doing it any other way, it's not going to go back on. You're going to have five extra bolts that you don't know. You're like, where did this come from? So it made sense from that point of view why they why the law enforcement would want like an open motor with, you know, very simplistic uh, procedures mm-hmm. and five tools that you need. Because trust me, when you're doing Hondas, just the uh, the hardware sheets for those things is like, God, a 20-page. But I will give it to Honda, though, like... You can have a toolkit that fits in your hand. It takes like an eight, a ten, and a twelve millimeter socket or wrench. Um, other than getting the wheels on and off, and then they got the bigger one for that. That's about it. Like there's not a lot. Where at least my first Harley I bought new, the gauge or the the switch housing and the brake lever had different size Torx heads. <laughs> like the same piece of kit. Yeah, and it was just like <laughs> really you couldn't like. Where Honda would have been like they would have been the same, so you use one tool. Yeah, but yeah, I can definitely see like if you were to lay down a Goldwing, there and Goldwing, I think was I don't know if they were the first, but remember when Victory came out with the bagger and at like IMS and all the shows they were laying it over on the crash bar. That was like Goldwing had already done that for ten years <laughs> before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But it was just like they were smart about it and they kind of advertised that, hey, if you lay your bike over to parking lot, it's just going to go to this crash bar. Yeah, that's one of the BMW K1600. The first year it came out, I was talking to uh, a dealer about, you know, information and stuff like that. And he said, yeah, that bike totaled. Uh, And I said, that bike's only like two weeks old. And he said, well, the guy fell the exposed uh, engine to pull, he's like, dude, to pull that engine is like 10 hours. And that bike and the labor, because it's BMW, yeah, there's no, there was no forethought about that, like on a, on a wing or even a Harley with the crash bars and the victory. Yeah. Like on a, on a Beamer, you go down, but on the wings, yeah, you tip them over, you can get them back up. I've only ever seen one wing down in a ditch a little bit on its side. The dude just took the corner too wide and target fixated. 
and him and his old lady were standing in the, in the ditch, but he just wrote it down in there nice and smooth and like plopped it on its side. I've never seen any catastrophic um, wing failures. Uh, I feel or like crashes. too on a real BMW that would be a boxer twin. It's gonna fall over to the cylinders. Yeah. Hey, if it's a K sixteen hundred, I know those aren't boxer twin, but if it's an opposed, uh, aren't the K sixteens the inline six? Yeah. So that, I can that's see that. Not that's a boxer. To me, it's not even a BMW. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I guess with Harley, I'm slowly changing because I like the Street 750. But I'm like, if it's not an air cooled pushrod V twin, it's not a Harley. <laughs> but I think like that's cool with BMW. Like the whole opposing twin is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. My um, actually a, tr- a tip out there if you're Goldwing listeners, if you want to change the rear tire, the easiest way to do it is lay the bike over on the crash bar. And uh, since it's a single-sided swing arm, you can take the rear rear wheel off easier that way. There you go. So if you're out on the road and uh, you don't have the lift and everything and you need to get the rear tire off, set it on the crash bar. Is it true that you can put uh, canola oil in the rear, in the shaft drive if you need, in a pinch situation? Sure, in a pinch situation, it's better than no oil. <laughs> Me and Rex Panther had a whole conversation about corn oil and in forks and drive shafts in uh yeah, it was great but uh yeah i've never i'd never ridden a wing i think your dad owns a wing and you probably yeah. spent time on a wing yeah they're uh the 1800s are nice they handle they're fast they will carve canyons they will hit the freeway at cruise control as long as you want to go like they're if you want to ride across the country, it doesn't get much better than that. It's not the coolest bike to ride cross country on, but yeah, you know, that's true. I, I see, you see a lot of them and my wife's always like, is that a Harley? And I'm like, no, babe, it's a Goldwing. You can tell it looks like an RV on the back just yeah. because of the styling. And one of the things about the new stuff that's been leaked, uh, here's the deal. I really don't know what's coming out. Honda has been pretty um, quiet about what they're putting out, but they like to put out showy stuff and then not actually <laughs> release that. So I've seen two different style forks. One is kind of like a, I'm going to say it's a Hossack style and one's like a Earl's style. If you're familiar with the BMW uh, anything, but let's just say the K1300, just because this is, it was a naked bike and the suspension was out there, they have a fork assembly that doesn't do anything it's literally just solid forks Uh, it's a solid like stamped steel fork piece and then there's a sheave joint with ball joints that that attaches to and the the front suspension is actually actuated via a shock absorber to the frame so the front fork moves up and down on these swing arms and it doesn't actually like go it's not like a telescopic fork Look at all these finger movements I'm making. It does. It doesn't go slide a tube in and out of another tube. God, Chris is seeing some terrible stuff over here. But it, it moves like a, sw- a control arm rather than a tube sliding in another tube. That's one of the things that's I've seen floated on the internet for the for the Honda front ends. More like a Earl style where you have like a rocker almost. Um, yeah, I don't even know. It's, it's kind of like a linkage front end. I don't even yeah. know. Not a leading link. I don't even know what to call it. But the BMWs run that on a lot. I looked at. I should have bought. You know, one of those motorcycles. I should have bought an R1100S. I think. 
Uh-huh. It was like the old Boxer Cup race bike. Yeah, it had that front end on them. They the R eleven hundred Boxer Cup replica. Yeah, mine was the black. It wasn't the one I looked at was black. It wasn't the replica, but it's same bike. Yeah, it's an awesome bike. Yeah, they uh, BMW is famous for the uh, paralever front and the or the dual lever front and the paralever rear. And the dual lever front is on so many of their bikes from the. The sheave joint is actually only on like certain ones, but the the it's the same sort of thing where it's either control arms or yeah. it's got a sheave joint that bends like this. I think know? this one had like it was weird. It had like a telescoping front end, but that wasn't yeah. your suspension. That yeah. was just so it would move. Yeah, and your suspension was in like a mono shock. Yeah, and it was all levered and yeah. That's exactly how the that kind of worked. They had a they had dual control arms and the the shocks do go up, but inside instead of having springs and dampers and oil, it's just like rubber spacers to yeah, make sure like, you don't bottom out. Yeah, and the whole the, there is like two spars that came off the front of the frame, and that's where the suspension shock attached it was one shock absorber like a mono shock front and a mono shock rear yeah and yeah that's how your suspension was actuated some of the drawings that i've seen from the bmw patents i'm at honda honda you want to hear something else is that back in 2003 or 2007 i forget the year harley davidson supposedly had a patent for a leaning a front leaning trike now have they ever put that out no and I think they had a front V-twin, uh, opposed V-twin instead of a like a transverse. It was transverse instead of inline. Hmm. Um, that never came out. A lot of times these guys patent stuff. But what you see from Honda a lot is that they have crazy, crazy, crazy concepts. But then the bikes that actually come out are a little more conventional or a little bit less tame or cost effective. Because this bike's not going to be like a $50,000 yeah. touring modus you know what i mean but i feel like that front end that beamer runs like it's probably old enough you can't patent it anymore and i feel like it could be affordable because beamer does it at an affordable price so we know honda can do it at an affordable price right, i'm gonna move this back oh you're fine um but the other one we saw which might have been what you're about to talk like that one it turns like the ball joint and everything it turns like a regular fork yeah. So you still steer it the same way. Yeah. What's the other front end you were talking about? The one I the one I was talking about was the Earls that like bends back and then has like the rocker. Like if you ever seen an Earls fork on an early seventies uh, or sixties motocross bike? Do they and they still turn the same? Yeah. The, so, it can It's like it's almost like a mountain bike where you have instead of two forks coming down, you have one fork coming down, or you could have two. No, no, it was just one. And then at the lower triple clamp, there was a bar that went back around behind the tire because mm. that was a pivot. And it was almost like a Springer front end. Uh, if you look up Earl's fork or Hossack fork, you'll see. I have one in my garage. An Earl's fork? No. Oh, a, uh-huh. ja- a Jawa. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, some, of, uh, some of the Jawas. It's a leading link. Yeah. 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 Um, I think the downside with leading link is I... And I've seen them do linkage to them, too. But I think brakes mess with them. Yeah. These all had drum brakes, pretty much. So it was... Yeah. And you can lock it to that arm, but you still have centrifugal force. So I think when you hit... Because, like, I rode a Vespa, and I think the Vespas had something similar. Yeah. And when you hit the brake, the whole front end would dive, or it would stand up, which was even weirder. Yeah. So I think that's the problem with, like, the leading link. 
What I was reading with the Goldwing that I agree, unfortunately, Honda probably won't do it was more like the Bomoda front ends. Oh, yeah, that's the next one I was going to talk about was the um, I forget what they exactly call it. But it's like link steering where you turn it's like uh, an eccentric hub or something. Too. Yeah, you turn the basically the input for the steering stops at the like neck and then it's actuated through tie rods down. It's it's hub center steering, I think. Is what yeah, they call yeah. It. And you have a solid front fork that doesn't turn and pivot. It just goes up and down and the wheel turns on that fork. So they're arced a little bit so that the wheel can turn and not rub. Mm -hmm. And that was the other front end I saw. And that relies on a little bit of linkage to get that to action. The Bimota Tessie 3D is what had that um, hub center steering on it. And it's a, it's a really trippy kind of interesting uh, sort of way to do it too. Um, that I one I, I don't see them doing. I don't see them. I, I really don't see them doing either. But the sheave, like the, uh, you know, the sheave fork with like the, the pivot, like you said, like BMW has proved that that works. And they yeah. use it on almost, well, they use the, the dual lever on almost all their bikes. And the sheave joint they use like on the R1200 and uh, their touring bikes. So, I mean, it's obviously been proven to work and it's been, and it's not patented. The one that Honda has looks a way different. You know, it's a combination of the sheave with like a little Earl's like rocker there. Um, and Honda has always done weird stuff like with ABS. Most bikes have like an input and output line for the front and an input and output line for the rear. And Honda has like linked. They've they've got like mechanically linked ABS and they all they always have their shit has like a they sometimes they have two modulators for the front and the rear and then each one has like six lines going in and out of it like they're so honda is so convoluted on their abs that at one point like i think it was on the cbx 1000 the blackbird whatever that is the triple x the cb 1100 or cbr 1100 xx and one and and whatever touring bike they had based off of the 1100 uh platform used to have like this mechanical linker to where you had two lines running to the front brake, but when you put on the when you put on the brakes and it dives, there's it pushes when the when the bike dives down, it pushes another master cylinder that's connected to the caliper, and so the actual brake dive of the bike forces fluid to the rear. To the rear, yeah, and, and that's how they, the 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 linked was mechanical, not like well, I ECU. don't know. Um... I don't know what year they started with it, but I know the 01-1800 had like an anti-dive in the front end. So when you'd squeeze the brakes, it almost seized up the front forks a little bit. Yeah. But I also know from riding with my old man in canyons, he hit like a pothole when he was on the brakes. And we were running pretty hard. I was on my CBR and his buddy was on an R1. And it shot oil all up through the front of the bike, all over the inside of the windscreen. Yeah. Um, it, it like blew a fork seal out because we were running hard and he squeezed the brakes pretty hard and hit a bump. Um, something else I know the 1800 has, it's kind of interesting, is a linked brake system where if you s- put your foot on the rear brake, it activates front and rear. And if you squeeze the front brake lever, it activates front and rear. Yeah. So there's no more like with that bike anyway, it wasn't separate. It had a bias like a car almost. Yeah. 
I, I think I, I'm pretty sure that, you know, I know Honda has that for sure. And that kind of explains why it's such a pain in the ass to look at their part stuff and order part stuff and to look at to repair their stuff because you're looking at like 20 different hoses when you look at their ABS systems. It's like, oh my God. Well, guys, we plowed through like almost two hours of Goldwing talk. Obviously, I'm going to cut some of that out and narrow it down, but I thought we'd take this time right now to say hey to everybody up in the Northwest. Uh, I hope you're doing okay with the fires. Everybody that's still suffering down in Texas, I hope you guys get back on track really soon. Um, we've donated a couple things well, uh, to you know places that take stuff to Harvey, so uh, tried to help out a little bit. And now we got Irma heading toward the East Coast. So all you guys down there, uh, I hope you guys you know, just stay dry, stay safe and brace, man, brace, uh, take a lesson from, uh, what happened down in Texas and what we said last week on the show about stock up, stock up, stock up, stock up and be prepared. So, uh, we're going to wrap up our final thoughts right now with Chris and, uh, you know, we talked about a whole bunch of stuff. So let's, let's, uh, hear a couple last words. I think like if you want a bike to go ride across the country, you don't get more luxurious than a Goldwing. Like I don't, I, to me, there's nothing hands down. Like I've ridden as an adult male, even I've ridden on the back of an 1800 Goldwing. It's amazing. I've ridden it by myself. It's amazing. I've ridden it with a passenger. It's amazing. I've ridden in some pretty good canyons on it and it, it handles so well. It will cruise down the freeway on cruise control at like 95 on hour really well. Um, it'll tow a trailer. I've towed a trailer with it. Um, my dad has a, he's kind of a redneck too. So he's got a hitch on his, um, but you know, like when he goes somewhere and he's going to be gone for a month cause he's retired, like he'll tow a pop-up camper. I towed my first ever experience on a road course track. I took my supermoto and I had this little like two bike trailer that the little rails would come off and I could make it a single bike. So I put the rail in the middle, loaded the supermoto up on it, took, put like a three gallon gas can on the back seat, put my leather pants in one of the saddlebags, wore my jackets, I had zipped together leathers, wore my helmet, wore my boots and my gloves, and like hooked this little trailer up behind the Goldwing and went to the racetrack. That is rad. And it was the coolest thing, but they, you know, if you're into that, they've got radios, the motors are quiet, um, which again with a Harley, like you want to hear that rumble, but if you don't want to hear that, like they're just smooth and quiet and like, I, I can't think of a single bad thing. And even like they're so big, but they handle so well, like they're so well balanced, you know, and not that a Harley bagger is not, but I just, it's also a bike that's good for 200, 300,000 miles with really a lot less maintenance. Yeah. All right, that was our review. Well, our Goldwing talk a little bit. There's a couple things we didn't get to. We talked about so much stuff, but I'm gonna leave you now. We're gonna finally throw this thing in a hole and bury it. But here are a few things, uh, speculations that Chris thinks may be coming up on the 2018 Goldwing. All right, so some of the other rumors that I think is kind of believable, the dual clutch transmission. Um, traction control. I could see that on the Goldwing, not for 
Like I, I feel like we're so used to traction control on sport bikes, but for wet conditions, snowy conditions, gravelly conditions, like it's a big heavy bike. So I think traction control could definitely be, and I think the technology's there and it's pretty simple for Honda. They need to put traction control on the bike. Like, I mean, and they could add that later, but the dual clutch transmission, they're not gonna add later. Like they're gonna, the motor's designed and it's not gonna change. So it's probably gonna have it. Uh, another thing I read was cornering ABS. Yeah. So that's an interesting one. Another thing that it listed that I would believe would be semi-active suspension. All right, that's really it this time. Uh, we also did deep dives on towing campers. Uh, the, the tow rigs that they use the gold wings for in Japan, if you can believe it or not, they use them as tow trucks because you can split lanes and there's these two big crane arms that hook onto them that they've made. And uh, so you can get to the scene of an accident and clear it out. And uh, talked about drag racing his dad's gold wing, um, the, the design of them. Uh, he talked about canyon carving and the guy in Deals Gap that will give you free video if you can beat him. Uh, as he's filming you, and he's on a gold wing. So lots of stuff, lots of stuff. Time to move on to our next segment, uh, lest you become gold winged out. Too late, boxer. Boxer, 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 boxer. So, hey, did you watch any of the flat track racing this weekend? I did. The Springfield Mile, I watched uh, mostly the mains or the main. Actually, no mains because they did. It's interesting how they do Springfield. I don't know if I like it, um, but they did the short track on Saturday. Yeah. You know what's so stupid? Last week, I was like, they must have done a typo. I think it's a TT again. I swear to God, they had five TTs on the schedule for the singles. And maybe I miscounted one, but I'm like, ST, the A and the S are right next to each other. Those <laughs> idiots made a typo. It was short track. So I felt like a stooge when I saw him going around an oval. And I was like, that's so weird because they've run twins on the mile before. I don't know why they wouldn't do it there at Springfield again. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sorry. They ran, they ran singles on the mile. And this time they around, they yeah. did it on the, short, on the short track. I think they're trying to be innovative. And when they have the ability to do a short track and a mile, they separate them and they do the singles on the short track. And it was cool. Like the singles, they had the singles pro class with the points and then they had an expert class. And like Meese did the TT at Springfield one, but um, Carver, you know, I, I follow Carver more. So he won a heat. And then was battling for second and laid it down in the main. But Dude, that was so good. Yeah, I watched the I watched the singles uh, doing the short crack. Short crack. <laughs> I did not see the, uh, the twins because I was out of town. I was out in the desert. But <sighs> so I totally missed it. I heard Meese won again. But yeah, I, I remember at the um, at the uh, the Springfield TT. It's so funny that they have a pro an expert singles class because they're not getting points for it, but you know, they want to, they want to do it for seat time. Probably. Yeah. And a lot of those guys like want, there's still money in it for them. Yeah. And a lot of those guys, like one of the benefit or one of the cool things I think with flat track is a lot of those guys are motorcycle riders and they want to race. Like if you know, if you're Kale Kochman, I think is a good example. He's from Ventura, California. If you drive to Springfield to race the mile on your twin, you're going to take your single. And if you can race another time, 
you're going to do it. Like, why not? If you've driven three quarters of the way across the country, why not race twice instead of once? Yeah. Once in a while, you'll see pros out here uh, running some weird like memorial thing like out at Willow Springs or Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, something at like Santa Rosa or something. You're like, well, the the Nationals not here, but they're in in that part of the state or whatever. So like, dude, what the hell? Let's go run the the Lodi Cycle Bowl the night before the Sacramento Mile. Yeah. The I forget the name of the memorial race, but there's a memorial race out at Willow Springs. That's like the Bob Budgeman, you know, memorial or whatever that, that the guys kind of do. I forget the guy's name. Yeah. There's one guy that puts it, it on. Yeah. Is it bugging you? Cause shit, it's bugging me. I know. But they, they kind of do that and they kind of do it regularly because Eddie Mulder, Eddie Mulder. God damn. You're so it's good. Not a, he's not a memorial. He's the guy that puts it on. Though. Right. He's not even dead. Yeah. <laughs> I just saw him at Ivy league event, but yeah, the Eddie Mulder, uh, you know, They'd come out and do that. It's like the Steel Shoe National. And a lot of guys come out and do it. I guess, I don't know, Eddie must be an old, old school flat track guy. Yeah, he is. He's like a legend. And I've talked about like, hey, we should have a hooligan class up there. And I guess he's also like set in his ways. And he's like, yeah, you guys can run open twins with the pros. Yeah. And we're like, no, we want to run a hooligan class. Wait a minute, we weigh a few hundred pounds more. And he like, he doesn't care. He's like, nope, here's the the classes. Sign up for where he fit. He was, it's ironic because he raced in the days when you raced the, you know, the bike that you got, but at the yeah. same, that's probably why he does like that with you guys. Like, yeah, yeah race what you got, dude. Here, here, there's three classes and that's it. <laughs> but I think like to me, Springfield, it would have been super cool for one on the TT and for Springfield two on the short track, like especially the short track. I think if there's one thing that hooligans can teach pros, not necessarily the riders, but like the whole organization is that you can take a bike that is way too big and put it on a track that is way too small and you can have a good event. Yeah. So why not? And I get, so for guys like Jared Meese and Baker and the Harley guys, like you have a team that'll stay up all night and you have backup bikes, but why not? You know, I'm sure Carver would do it too. Why not race the short track Saturday and race the mile Sunday for both the singles and twins both days? Like, yeah, you know, you, the big expense really with a lot of racing is driving to these events, like taking the time off work. If you're a privateer and going to these events, like, yeah, it's unfortunate. And, you know, Carver has backup bikes, but you, if you race one night and then race the next day, you know, I think it'd be cool to see the twins on the short track and on, and on the Springfield TT, they did Peoria. Um, It'd be cool to see them on a little bull ring battling on the twins instead of having an expert singles class. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's funny? Yeah, that's true. And you know what's funny is that I saw them, uh, especially Halbert, really. It was, he was like one of the only guys I saw, uh, maybe Coolbeth, I think. They When they announced the twins were going to be running, and that's it. They took their stuff to some indoor stuff over that winter before the season started and got some seat time because they were like, hey, let's see what these things can do. And Sammy Halbert came in like second in some yeah. local race on his twins versus 450s in a short track indoor. Like we're talking like yeah. short, short track. I watched Kale Kochman at Ventura a few weeks ago on his twin running with the 450s in the pro class. Ventura is that little bull ring kind of on, right on the coast, right? It's not that little. It's a banked quarter. It's oh, a decent size okay. track. I mean, compared to what they run with the twins, but... It's seat time for him. Like, you know, spend time on that bike. Like 
one of the things like the hooligans kind of show people is that we like we can run any size track on our bikes because we're just we ride our bikes so yeah. it's like hell mama tried dude that's oh my goodness that's indoor hockey rinks that's like someone's living room right right yeah and that like i think that's something to kind of like show you know even aft like hey put the twins on a short track yeah like i think it'd be cool maybe not to that extreme but how cool would it be on the aft schedule to have an indoor coke syrup race yeah why not or even an ice race you know what because the fans would complain that it threw too much of a wild card in yeah that's true like stuff that i think would be totally fun people are like "Eh, it's gimmicky because i'm with you on that like i think there should be like a a, a wild like one of the best things that i think i forget if it's supercross or motocross did but they added a joker lane because they saw that shit in rallycross yeah and they did that and that added like a real uh it was interesting how they did it because you could choose either line one was like shorter and more technical, but timing wise, they came out almost identical every yeah. time. And you had to hit it. And if you didn't hit it, I, I think it was a oh, maybe that's what it was. You had to hit it one lap. Yeah, you had to hit it. It was mandatory and you could choose when you did it. But depending on how if you got ahead in the race or if somebody else was ahead and they you knew they hadn't hit it yet, you had your chance. It really added a new aspect and a new a new um, dimension to a whole dimension yeah. to the racing because then you had some strategy. It wasn't just like wide open skill, but I think it was, I want to say it was either arena cross or super cross to do that. I forget, but dude, that's like, I'm all for stuff like that. And then, but I do think the short track and the TT at Springfield are not like, even for the fans, like if you're going to drive, you know, unless you're local to Springfield, but if you're going to drive down from Chicago or drive over from Indianapolis or St. Louis or something like that, like, and you're, you're going to drive the night before yeah. most people like, why not go watch the short track and TT or TT? You know, I thought it was interesting that Springfield one had a TT and two at a short track. That was cool. But you know, you're going to go watch both events anyway. Wouldn't you want to see the twins on Saturday night and then see the singles on the mile on Sunday? Yeah. And the pros are going to be riding both anyway. Then why not just give them an incentive to ride the twins one yeah. more, like a double header. There's no yeah. double headers in the series. So that would make sense. Uh, yeah. So I saw that, um, Shana Texter got knocked out of the lead by the way, cause she's terrible at TTs and she has not uh, made the mains in any of them. And she really struggled at that short track. Yeah. It, it seemed like the, slippery or something i just i she just couldn't get up she's she was back in like 13th the whole time i watched her 12th yeah um so she slipped out of the out of the lead um and colby carlisle took over um i still don't think he won a race because i don't think he i don't think he has i don't think he (laughs) so it's cool like that's a guy that we were talking about like being or something you know a subject we talked about in the last couple episodes this guy's being consistent and he's been consistently top five top three and she's been first or 15th. Yeah. And it, she hasn't had enough first to make yeah. up for the number of 15th. And not making the main really hurts. And there's only four rounds left, I think. Yeah. And there, there's another short track in there for the sing, for the singles, I think. Maybe there's Pennsylvania, I think, is coming up. I don't know what that track looks like. And even out here, like she might struggle for the final round October 7th. Like, they were saying, you know, we call it a half mile here, and I know it's a sprint car track, but for them, it's actually a small half mile. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how she does. Like, she really likes those. 
chess match miles where she can really get in on the draft and really kind of slingshot around at the right time. So I was going to say, if you if you watch them, there's not very many where she like it's never been a flag to flag and it's been dicey. She's been, you know, holding back and then she'll pass like in the last couple times she done in the last lap. But a couple times it was like the last, uh, you know, five laps or so that really they diced. Um, yeah, this weekend is uh, the Williams Grove, uh, Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, half mile. Then we got the Lone Star half mile at Texas Motor Speedway, and then the finals here. So there's only three rounds left. Oh. Yeah. So, so me, three half miles, not even any miles left. Yeah. So she's, that's interesting. We're I, I was rooting for her in the beginning just because I've seen her race before, and I thought, you know, she's pretty good. I like her and Corey Texter's whole story and about their dad passing and them taking on the, you know, the family racing, carrying it on. And so I really wish he was doing better, actually, too, because yeah. he's been back further than he used to ride Triumph, right? I think he was on a Triumph. I know Brandon Robinson was on a Triumph for a while. And I feel like he did way better than he's been doing. He's on an XR right now, right? Uh, He got an XR. He's been running a Cowie a lot, but okay. I saw where he just got an XR. Oh, that's right. And Shayna made the main. Interesting enough, she made the main on Sunday on the mile on the Twins. Yeah, that's the funny thing. If you just start getting into flat track this year, they really, Michael Locke did a great job of separating the series out. And it's still a little weird. You're seeing pros race in the singles. Well, not pros. You're seeing twins riders race in the singles, but it's an expert class and they're not getting points. The same thing with like Shayna. She's run a couple twins races this year. I don't think she's getting points for them. Or if she is, she's not getting it. It's like, you know, when I watched on Sunday, because I think she beat out Jake Johnson for the main. And I was like, oh, you know, what a bummer. Like he could have been in the main and had some points and she's not even in the running. But then I sat back and thought about it and how many pros um, River Rat like, or River Rat Racing is one of them. Like he's he's friends of Mock Modified and Speed Merchant and stuff like that. So he, like this is a good example of a privateer that doesn't do all the races. Yeah. So it's like if you look at her like a privateer who's not who can't afford to go to all the races, then it's fine that she knocked Jake Johnson out. Like she beat him fair and square. Like too bad. So I yeah. when I first thought about it, I was like, oh man, what a bummer. He doesn't have points. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, just because it's a girl that goes to all the races, it's not a big deal. Like, yeah, she's in the singles. She wants seat time in the twins. But, you know, she's she did good on the mile. She runs well there, even on the twins. So it was cool to see her, like, be able to make the event um, get a little further. And, yeah. And even though she's not in the running for any points, like, I'd say that's her ultimate goal. Like, I think, you know, Richie Morris and her, they really want to win a singles championship because that would be historical. Yeah, I don't think a female's ever done that. Apparently, there's never been a female that won anything. Although I thought Melissa Paris and Shalina Moreta did, and I can't remember the third woman. I'm so sorry, but I thought they won. Nicole Meese. Oh, I was for flat track Nicole Meese, but I don't think she ever won anything really. No, she never did. She crashed a lot actually, but. I thought for some reason that Melissa Paris and Shalina Moreta took like something in the Suzuka eight hour. I wanted to say, but I, I, they said that um, Shayna has been the closest to a woman winning any national race series. And I was Mm. trying to think of, I I've only 
covered Angel Sampi a couple times. She's a drag racer. She races, I think, Harleys or something like that. Is that the one that raced Suzuki's for a long time? Hey, turns out that Angel Sampi did race Suzuki's for a long time. Chris is a knowledgeable individual, isn't he? That's why uh, I invited him to come back week after week. Uh, turns out Angel Sampi won, or Angel Sampi, uh, is the winningest female in professional motorsports with a history of 41 career wins. So suck on that, Shayna Texter and Shalina Moreta and Elena Myers. All right, it's time to kick it into high gear and talk a little bit about the twins. It was good, and Indian swept the podium, unfortunately. But oh yeah, I didn't. I, I read the headline that Meath won, but I didn't know that it was another Indian sweep. Yeah, it so Meath, Smith, and Baker again. I think you know Brad had a few races last year where he just was on an XR750 and he just checked out. Especially Santa Rosa was the oh, big yeah. one. Dude, 14 seconds or something like that. Yeah. He was like way and gone. He just signed out, totally different level. And I think and his bike seemed to be either good or bad or good or break. Um, and this year with the Indians, I think for Smith and Meese, it almost stepped up. Like Meese, I'm sure, had a lot of good bikes too for his XRs, but he was kind of a privateer team, um, or at least he wasn't factory. Mm-hmm. So. But the Indians, I feel like the bikes are pretty evenly matched. Those three riders are pretty evenly matched. And Brad hasn't came to an event where he just checks out. Like No. So it's an interesting like rider bike combo. Um, but I, I don't I think Sammy got fourth. And then um Brandon Robinson on the factory Harley got fifth. No kidding. So he got around Carver. I think Carver got seventh. So I think uh Bauman Breyer again got sixth. So it was cool. They had a, I mean, they had a breakaway of the three Indians, Bauman, Halbert, and Carver had a six man breakaway that was probably half a straightaway out front. And then they had a restart. Uh, cool Beth, I think his motor locked up. They had a restart and that kind of shook things up. But Sammy got in the little four man breakaway. And, but it was good. It was good to see Brandon Robinson like have a finish like that in the factory Harleys on the mile have a finish like that yeah dude that poor guy that poor guy cool beth dude i feel like this year like god damn if it isn't something with him it's it's something else you yeah know? right that poor guy can't can't catch a break he did really good in his heats too i think it uh i don't think it was prioria i think it was i think it was just uh one of the other ones but i was expecting him to be up there at least in the top five and then when he when everybody got together in the final it like kind of sorts think- him out I think to me the bummer with with Cool Beth is and this is like totally outside, like I could be totally wrong, but I don't feel like the team is utilizing his knowledge. Like he's the winningest current writer. He's yeah. forty years old. Yeah. He's got more experience than half the guys on the track put together. Like take that guy testing, you know, ask that guy what he wants done. Don't hand him a bike and tell him to ride it. Like if you have a bike that like that's what you do to a kid that's 20, you hand him a bike and tell him to ride it. When the dude's 40, you say, what do you want done to your bike? Like, what can we do to make this bike better? Yeah. And I'm sure there's some of that going on, but I don't know. I grew up around racing. So to me, it's like, it's an obsession. Like I would be testing if I wasn't racing, I'd be testing like, yeah. And last year they 
spotlighted on him and he's doing like for a dude that's 40 he's doing like more workouts than some of the 20 year old dudes are doing i know texture and meese hit it pretty hard but the other guys i have a i kind of feel like they're just like good riders and Coolbath is out there running like he's like daryl strawberry like out there with tires tied to his waist and like doing like crossfit out in his pasture and stuff just to keep relevant and uh, one of his characteristic like signature things was you always used to be able to see the brake rotors glowing on that, you know, on that mm-hmm. back brake. I've only seen that once or twice this year. So I, I, I feel like he's even riding the bike different or maybe maybe, try, maybe trying to, to trying to do what they're saying. And maybe what I know, I know for a while they were having troubles with the brakes on those. It wasn't heat. It was a vibration issue and they got that sorted. But, um, Maybe, you know, when that was first coming on, he was adjusting his riding style. And I know Baker likes to trail break and Meese likes to trail break. I get that a lot of people do it. I personally don't trail break, so I don't see the benefits. And I've seen guys, I was at a race and I watched a guy leading his event and then just get passed by like six people in the last three laps. And he's like, well, my brakes went away. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I was trail breaking. And he literally like took a class from Baker um, it's a friend of mine who's like a good friend of Baker's too. And he's like, yeah, Brad was helping me out with this and he taught me to trail break and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but then my brakes went away. Until you like, boiled him. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm like, <laughs> but a guy like Brad, like if his brakes fade because he's brake, like trailing, he'll adapt. Like he might like that better, but he can adapt. And this guy like never adapted. He just like totally lost it. And I'm like, made no sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, so yeah, that's, that's racing. Um, Hey, really quick here. Let's uh, before we wrap up the show. There's a few things coming up that I want to talk about uh, tomorrow night. Mr. Wiggins, I believe you're going to be uh, at the um, Costa Mesa Speedway, right? Sa- yeah, yeah. I'm like Saturday. I'm like hey, this comes out on Friday. So yeah, tomorrow night I will be for the RSD Super Hooligan Round. Um, and also, yeah, it's going to be. Round eight of the RSD uh, Roland Sands Design National uh, Hooligans Flat Track Series. I forget what the whole technical name of that is. But, yeah, it's going to be round eight at Costa Mesa Speedway. I think there's two more rounds, um, Bolsa Chica being the penultimate round. And I forget what's after this. The Costa Mesa and then October 7th at Paris Flat Track with the pros. And then Bolsa Chica, yeah. Uh, yeah, also happening uh, September 9th, which is tomorrow, is at the Milestone MX Park, there's going to be a Trans World Motocross Slam Fest, which uh, a bunch of people have been hyping. Apparently, that looks like it's going to be pretty cool. Hell on Wheels is going to be offering uh, a flat track series at the adjacent um, flat track little track over there, which is where Tracker Cross was. Uh, so that's going on September 10th. Uh, out at Paris Speedway, the uh, motocross track out there, the Cal VMX, I think they're having their 100% round, which is uh, put on by 100% goggles. Um, so that'll be uh, one of their rounds out there. Um, September 16th, the Venice Vintage Motorcycle Club is having their 10th rally. Uh, I remember when the first one kicked off, it was just like a ride between buddies. There's probably like 15 bikes. And now it's like, you know, a couple of years ago, they had, uh, gosh, I can't remember her name, Drea DeMatteo from Sons of Anarchy. I mean, they have like, you know, motorcycling industry people show up to these things now. So in 10 years, it's come a long way. That's at 2150 Dell Avenue in Venice. And Sarah, if you are listening, 
Um, Shannon, the guy who started one of the co-founders of VVMC, was who we bought your 450 off of. So he's he's the dude. He's he's been into vintage bikes for a long time. Um, also happening on the 16th is the Los Angeles Mods versus Rockers Campout. I think this is MVR uh 4832 for la i have no real idea uh september 17th what's going on are you doing some flat track on the 17th no flat track i am going to streets of willow oh okay the streets of willow yeah i'm just doing a track day oh okay maybe on the harley but definitely on the ducati it's been a while since i've been on a track in full gear or yeah or a road course track in general so i'm excited right on uh well I have a pimp that puts me on the track every week. Yay, bazing! Speaking of tracks, maybe I'll edit that. Maybe I won't. Uh, and then, so that's the that's the middle of September. Toward the end of September, the twenty third, yep. some, something's going on at Santa Maria Raceway. What could that yeah, be? Yeah, that one's the big hooligan shootout. Um, we've got about twenty guys signed up. Uh, I confirmed with SNS Cycles today. We got a hooligan kit. That will go to anyone. We don't know who. It's not necessarily the five fast guys. Um, I have got a. I'm waiting on confirmation again, but we should have an icon helmet for uh, the gnarliest crash. So uh, try not to win that one. Yeah, you're gonna need it after that. <laughs> um, so it should be some good racing and ten dollar entry if you pre-register on SoCal Hooligans on the on the Instagrammers. So hit me up. Tell me you want to race. Tell me your class and race number, and uh, come race for cheap. Have a good time, and you'll you'll probably be hooked on the hooligan racing. Yeah, and last week we had the uh, opportunity to be on the Loud Pipes podcast, and I think we talked Rico and John, or I'm sorry, well not <laughs> yeah. John, but Rich, into riding the uh, the Chieftain and the Deuce. But maybe we talked John into getting that spider out on the track. <laughs> it, it qualifies. It's over 750, and it's heavy. I think it could be fun on the track. <laughs> Yeah, drifting, baby. Uh, also happened on the 23rd, but a little bit less important is uh, the ramming speed. They do a lot of pretty cool classic, like vintage stuff. They're doing a classic flat track day at Willow Springs. Um, so go check that out. If you're not going to show up to Santa Maria, you jump. Uh, September 29th, Overland Expo East is happening at the Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, if you don't know who the Biltmores are, then uh, you don't know American history. Who's the Biltmores? <laughs> are they related to the Biltwells? I don't know. I don't know who they are. Uh, but no, that's Overland Expo East. Overland Expo, I want to say West, just happened here out uh, last week, and I told you about it. It happened now at Lake Elsinore. Uh, October 1st. Los Angeles Grand Tour. That is, they're going to go hit all the spots that they hit on last year's uh, taco, uh, the Taco Tour, which is the LATT, um, the Donut D Tour, and the Pizza Parade. Crap, I forget what the last one was, but they're they're small displacement rides that go all over LA, uh, kind of making fun of world famous races, uh, eating food along the way. But you have to be on a 125 or less. If you're on a bigger bike, you can hang out at the back. But uh, October 1st, the Los Angeles Grand Tour, they're going to cover uh, one spot from all the previous rides. Who in LA has a Grom I can borrow? Yeah, hey. Or anything 125 or less, because I like food. Oh, who has a Trail 70? I will oh, totally rock a Trail 70 around LA. Uh, 
who um, October 20th and 21st, Tracker Cross 2, the Halloween edition. That ought to be pretty yeah, fun. Should be cool. Oh, dude. The Mad Max class was my favorite part of the first one, dude. That was so rad. Two three-wheelers, one of which was two up. Yeah. One of which high-sided himself. That was pretty rad. And then a golf cart with like a 600 Jigsaw motor. Dude, in it. that thing. Oh, that was such a rad sounding golf cart. Uh, I think they even had a cooler strapped in the back of it just for yeah. authenticity. Uh, but that's going to be pretty fun. Stay tuned because I'm sure that Hell on Wheels is going to have their Halloween hill climb. Oh, they've got to do a hill Sometime climb. around then, uh, if not the following weekend, because it's going to be closer to Halloween. Uh, November 3rd and 4th, uh, Race on the Res and Ivy League Flat Track are presenting Twisted Throttles at Barona Speedway. There's going to be quarter-mile drag. Oh, I'm sorry, eighth-mile drags. Uh, there's going to be some flat track. There's going to be an associated bike night happening in Ramona. There's all sorts of stuff. I don't know if I can really talk about it yet, but uh, Brian Bell has filled me in on what's going down. Chris, I have some news for you, my friend. Uh-oh. I did not tell you yet, but uh, I don't know if you listen to the Motorcycles and Misfits, but I just talked to Liza the other day, and it's confirmed that two of the Misfits are coming down. Liza and I spent a while on the phone getting stuff straight. Nice. Uh, we're planning on doing some chariot racing, and so we'll see if we get to huck them down the drag strip and the flat track. So I've been, I've been kind of tasked with making a better version of the milk crate. So we'll see uh, what happens. But we're that it's a possibility that there may be some chariot racing. Don't hold us to that. And Liza has been specific about that. She said, you know, don't don't nail that down yet. But, uh, you know, it's a possibility. But there's going to be some hooligan uh, hooliganery happening there. Brian Bell's totally on board with it. So come and check that out. Meet uh, the hooligans, meet us, um, and come do like a basically what Brian has explained to me is going to be like the West coast version of Sturgis. And hopefully this is the first of many, 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 many years. So that'll be pretty cool. Um, after that, it's going to be way too cold for the rest of you guys to ride. <laughs> We're kind of lucky that we'll be able to ride year round, but you poor schmucks are probably going to be ankle deep in snow. Yeah. After that, we've got, there's still Barstow to Vegas for, oh, dude, for some people. LAB to V baby. I'm going to do, I wanted to do that this year. That is that in September or is that in November? It's Thanksgiving weekend. Oh, that's right. That's why I wasn't, couldn't do it. <laughs> that makes it really hard for sure. Yeah. If you've got family, I think it's Friday and Saturday. Yeah. I think that gives you is. Sunday to recover. Yeah. Uh, and if you've got family and you know how important that time of year is, then you can understand why only divorced motorcyclists go. On that thing. One of these, one of these years we'll do that. So check that out. Um, there's going to be all sorts of crazy stuff. And then the next thing you know, we're ramping up again. It's mama tried. It's there's motorcycle shows starting up in November, um, and all sorts of crazy stuff leading us into the winter time. Don't forget, send in stuff for spooky spokes. Um, go on a scary ride. Uh, I'm going to talk Chris into doing something scary with me. If, uh, if he's got the time and, uh, yeah, so that ought to be fun. Send in, send in your submissions to creative writing podcast at gmail.com. And uh, let's do a quick sign-off. Last last week I did uh, a couple of Instagram shout-outs, and now that Chris is here with me, um, I've marked them off so that I don't do repeats. But what I did last week is I just picked three random Instagrams. I, sp- I spun the Instagram wheel, if you will. And whatever it landed on, uh, I gave them a little plug because I really only follow some really, really cool people 
on the Instagrams. So I'm going to do that again, but then I'm going to let Chris pick one. And uh, this is going to be a seven-hour podcast because I'll let him <laughs> go right. on and on about it. So let me just randomly spin and pick Moto Chop Shop. Uh, it just so happens that Moto Chop Shop is a shop here. I think they're in Van Nuys or something like that. Uh, I, from what I remember, they specifically do a lot of Triumph stuff, but also a lot of uh, BMW. And they make some really cool custom stuff as well as doing service work. Uh, for individuals to so check out Motors Chop Shop. What would I just pick? Uh, Dirt Rider Magazine. Dude, listen, Dirt Rider Magazine, they, if you're into dirt, you probably already know about them. I don't need to, to tell you, but if you're not into dirt, check them out. They got lots of racing news, uh, lots of new bike uh, bike drops. And if you want to see some somebody doing something cutting edge on a new piece of dirt equipment that you're like, holy crap, that's an electric bike, or hey, I didn't know there was two-wheeled drive dirt bikes nowadays go check out dirt rider magazine they got all the fuzz on that and let me spin this last one really what did i pick here uh deus temple well i think deus is pretty much like the ed hardy of uh or the bongo or the bad boy club of motorcycles they're kind of like a well-known clothing factory that happens to revolve around motorcycles but deus temple is their bali operation and so you can see a bunch of white folks getting their groove on in bali so go check that out sometimes they have motorcycles but a lot of time it's the deus lifestyle which uh to me is just unicorns and rainbows (laughs) i don't know i don't think it's real (laughs) they're always surfing and partying and having a good time and uh that does that's not that ain't real People buy those $80 t-shirts, man. But that's what I'm talking about. That's the Ed Hardy aspect. So, Chris, I'm going to let you uh, take over here and do your Instagram. All right. I'm going to, for this week, um, hopefully I get a ride with these guys soon. Hopefully on my Dyna, not just my Ducati. Uh, 27 Cycles. And it's uh, there's a few guys together, 27 Cycles. Um, they're up in Chatsworth, which is kind of in the valley, a little west of the valley. And... Uh, what these guys are doing with their buddies, it's kind of a hooligan thing. Um, they're taking their dinas out to road courses and riding on tracks. Like they have made foot pegs that are lifted like an inch. Um, they run like the best tires they can find for their dinas. All their dinas are lifted a little bit. It's rad though. They're still running T bars, um, stuff like that. But they're going out on road courses and riding with sport bikes and hanging pretty good. I, you know what? I think I saw these guys are. Is this the same dudes that was carving like Mulholland on Dinos like on yeah. YouTube? Okay, yeah. yeah. And I saw their Instagram post for come check us out on Dinos. And uh, there's a screenshot of them doing it, man. And they're like on the rumble strips <laughs> on Dinos. It's crazy. And like I've spent a decent amount of canyon time on my Dyna and I'm comfortable on it. Um, these guys lean off a little more like they're putting their knee down on their Dinos. So they're leaning off a little bit more. So it'll be a, like a learning curve for me on mine. But I'm going to go ride with them. It's like, see what it's about. Um, they're super pumped to have me out too. Like with the hooligan stuff, like they know what's going on with that. So when I hit them up and I was like, I, I'm going to try and come out and ride with you guys. Like they were super helpful. Like, what do you need? What, what's wrong with your bike? Like, so, uh, it should be fun, but it's just cool to see guys. Like, you know, I'm a fan of Harley. So just to, to see guys doing different stuff on Harley's or, more importantly, I should say doing something that people don't think should be done. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was going to say doing stuff that people say can't be done. Yeah, yeah, that's rad. Um, so there, there you have it. And uh, 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. If uh, Go check out Loud Pipes. We blabbed about Harleys. Maybe we'll get our chance to talk about them next week. Um, and so if you would, please, one last reminder. Uh, A, send in your spooky spokes stories because that is or that episode depends on that. <laughs> uh, B, uh, please, if you get a chance, check us out in iTunes. We're always bagging on ourselves about uh, being a show for dummies and uh, all that stuff. But I think... You know, now that Chris is here, I can't say that anymore. I'm the dummy on the show, and we get a, we get a, a Joe and a pro, so uh, we're no longer the show for idiots. So check us out. Leave us a review. Just put that. Hey, this show is no longer idiots. <laughs> but uh, yeah, please leave us a review in iTunes uh, if you can. We can also find us in Stitcher. You can find us in the Google Play Store. We're available where most uh, pod aggregating services have us, like Pod Cruncher, Dogcast, Odd Crunch, Bean Smasher, um, Ear Banger. I don't know anything where you find a podcast. We're probably in there, but uh, mostly leave us a leave us a review in iTunes. That's where it counts for the time being, and uh, tell a friend about us. For right now, uh, it's Junkie Turdman signing off. Um, check us out creative writing uh, podcast on Instagram or creative dash writing.com on the web. And, uh, we we're, we're working on this new series called meth bus, me and my friend Ricky, and also Twitter wars. So if you want to start a Twitter wars with us, go to creative underscore writer on twitter.com and let's, uh, let's start fighting. Uh, Chris, where can we find you? Not on Twitter. Uh, it's too old Manny for Twitter. <laughs> no, it's too much spelling involved. Oh, there's 140 characters. <laughs> Is it really limited to 140 characters? Yeah. Um, Instagram at wig09. Spell out the zero because I'm weird. And SoCal underscore hooligans because I want people to come out and race hooligans. So definitely check that one out and get your bike together to come race. I don't even care if it's like barely together. If it runs, you can race it. I mean, look at it this way. If you want to come watch and you pre-register and your bike doesn't run, just bring it and sign in for $10, which is less than the cost of a pit pass. And then you can hang out with your broken bike and no one will even care. <laughs> That's true. You can be like, yeah, bro, I was going to race it, but, uh, you know, yeah, yeah dude. It, I thought it was going to magically start and yeah. then it didn't. And you know what? You might even find this out. Um, Hot August Nights last year. Oh, the Speed Merchant Brothers were tearing apart their carb on their Buell Blast, and like 14 people came over to help out. So bring your non-working bike for $10. Not only do you get to sit in the pits and, and tell everybody you were going to race, but then you get help from expert mechanics that are like in the pit next to you. So it probably will run when you get It home. might. There is a chance for sure. So bring some out and get it dirty like... It's over 750 cc's in a V-twin or something. Bring it and ride it and have a good time. Yeah, no Hayabusa's. That's cheating. No, bring your boosters. I would love it. <laughs> All right. You might pull your plastics off first, though. You might pull your plastic. If you don't, then they'll be off by the end of the race. Yeah. Uh, that's guaranteed. But yeah, so check us out and uh, have a good week. We'll talk to you guys later. Um, oh, yeah. Do you have any cool sign-offs? I don't have any cool sign-offs. Perfect. That's your sign-off. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>
carbon fiber has some really interesting characteristics when it comes to frames. So like I was in the bicycle industry for a long time and they said like if an aluminum bicycle can take a 300 pounds of force hit to the front end at 250 pounds force, you're going to fatigue the frame and it'll be junk. What if a carbon fiber frame could take 300? And those numbers were kind of like off the wall because carbon fiber one could take more of a hit than the aluminum. But if carbon would take 300, you could hit it at 299 over and over and over and over, and it's never going to fatigue that frame. So, but 300, it would, it would be done. Hey man, if you want to know anything else about Gold Wings, call Honda because I think we've covered almost every single thing. What I what I thought would be like a ten minute, nothing's ten minutes with us. Come on, right? Who are we kidding? But uh, this short little thing sure did get fleshed out really well, just because Chris's experience and uh, if you really want to know anything about a Gold Wing, listen to someone else's podcast. Yeah. Somebody. But now that you're at the end of ours, it's too late. You got <laughs> you got all of our misinformation already. Right, right. 